When Jesus is at home in Nazareth, he is confronted with the expectations of his own people. How they respond and how we respond when God in Christ does and says the unexpected says a great deal about what it means to be a people of faith and a community that yearns for transformation. Richard Helmer reflects on this in relationship with the current struggles in the Anglican Communion on this sermon delivered at Church of Our Savior on January 28, 2007. In the name of the God who transforms us, Amen. Part of being in the Episcopal Church these days means you are part of a church that gets in the paper every once in a while. I grew up in a small town in Midwestern Kansas where the Episcopal Church was one of the smaller churches. We had about 40 on an average Sunday morning. They could only afford a half-time priest. But my mother was English, so when we would go to visit her relatives in the Church of England, we would go to their small country church in rural Gloucestershire. And then when I married my wife from Japan and started to meet Japanese people from the Nippon Seikokai, I suddenly had an identity, a Christian identity, that rested on three different continents. I guess that makes me Anglican, too. (laughs) And they've been in the newspaper a fair bit these days. This past week, I attended Epiphany West 2007, Revisioning Anglicanism was the name of the conference, and it was held at the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley. One of our speakers was Francisco de Sista Silva, the Provincial Secretary General of the Igreja Episcopal Anglicana do Brasil. And while presenting a paper by Carlos Eduardo Calvani, he shared the story of meeting a Church of England priest while in the United Kingdom for another conference. The story goes something like this. The two of them shook hands, and the English priest noted Father Francisco's caller. When he learned Francisco was from Brazil, he said something to the effect of, Oh, well, you must be a Catholic priest then. Francisco replied, uh, No, I'm, I'm Anglican. There was a moment's pause after which the English priest said, An Anglican from Brazil? Oh, an accident! (laughs) Well, we should have known it wouldn't last. In today's gospel, Jesus has come home to Nazareth, reads from scripture in the synagogue, and then sits down to begin teaching the people. Last week we were left with all the eyes of the people fixed on him, an expectant moment, a hopeful one, in which this native son would deliver something so pleasing that the families he had grown up alongside, the households of children he had played amongst as a youth, the people whom he had come to know 
and who had come to know him as the carpenter's son. Something so pleasing, he would say, surely that they would be proud of this native son of Nazareth. Something that would bring honor to his family, perhaps, and to his neighbors, so that they could remember Jesus to their children and to their grandchildren. He was the perfect stage, it seems, for Jesus to start building up a wonderful reputation. But then he opens his mouth and sours the whole deal. To the townspeople's surprise that a carpenter's son has learned such gracious language, he quotes a proverb that might imply one of two things. Either they're saying they want him to do everything they're doing elsewhere, they want to do it for them, or maybe they're starting to imply that maybe they think he's a little bit nuts. And to their natural desire that he perform a miracle because they are his townspeople, after all, he refuses. And he turns then to hard truths that they are not ready to hear. That Elijah, that beloved hero prophet in their tradition, went to serve a foreigner before helping his own people. That Elisha healed the stranger, an outsider, before the people of Israel to whom he belonged. And suddenly the people of Nazareth turned from adoring expectant friends and family into the lynch mob because to be insulted by one of their native sons and right out of their hallowed religious tradition is the greatest possible dishonor. And of course, if he's going to take this elsewhere, who knows what trouble he's going to get us into Jesus has turned their expectations against them, suggesting that they could never accept him as anything other than a novelty. Their carpenter's son who suddenly turned odd and rabbinical, who traded strong hands and calluses for a vocation of proclamation, of teaching, and of miracle-making. But now it seems saying all the wrong things and refusing to do what they most want to see. The Anglican Communion is in turmoil right now because the unexpected has happened and is happening. Rapidly growing churches in Africa have tilted the balance of Anglican identity, population-wise at least, from the wealthy churches of the Northern Hemisphere to our sisters and brothers of markedly different cultures in the middle of some of the most awful economic and social conditions on the planet. In our part of the communion, people who have been anathematized or subjugated by the historic church have moved into holy orders and have become openly welcome in our communities simply for who they are. One of them, Jean Robinson, was consecrated bishop in 2003. A firestorm of fury from several post-colonial Anglican churches ensued, including the most populous right now in the Anglican Communion, the Church of Nigeria. 
Now, back at home, there has been a romantic notion of a past and glorious Episcopal church. One, I dare say, that may have never existed, but nevertheless, the romantic notion is there, and that notion has been dispelled by the election of our first woman presiding bishop. It has been further dispelled by a growing commitment to inclusion and missional outreach in our denomination that cuts across old boundaries, old boundaries that some of us thought were sacred. The outsider, the stranger, the foreigner is suddenly welcome, not only at the table, but into our leadership. So instead of what we often like to call ourselves the, quote, frozen chosen, we are slowly becoming the warm-blooded, ever-bending lovers of the poor, the marginalized, the broken, even if it means we find ourselves at risk of being disenfranchised, too. And the traditional broker of membership and power in the Anglican Communion, the Archbishop of Canterbury, is suddenly caught in the middle of a complex struggle. It's a struggle of conflicting desires and theologies, of differing biblical interpretations, of democratic polity on one hand and hierarchical polity on the other and lots of different kinds of polity in between and appeals to orthodoxy and a monolithic faith that has been received just once and has never changed and a recognition that our common life and our contextualized faith is much more complex and diverse than we had ever imagined. And he is confronted with other archbishops jockeying not only for recognition, but to be seen for the sake of their own people. To be seen at last as equals in the complex geopolitical situation where globalization has taken hold, along with interreligious and intercultural violence, fragile young democracies, and the collapse of old, modern, tyrannical, and colonial structures. The world, for better or for worse, has unpredictably crossed the Rubicon from an understandable modernity where things were ordered and organized into a messy and unpredictable post-modernity. And we hardly knows what this may mean for Christianity. Let's give it up at least this much. There are no easy answers to this mess in the church. The primates of the Anglican Communion meet next month in Tanzania after the House of Bishops there essentially anathematized us as the Episcopal Church and several other churches and primates for ordaining gay and lesbian clergy. All the primates are going anyway. Some primates aren't speaking to each other or even receiving communion together. At least one wrote the Archbishop of Canterbury and told him he couldn't even sit at table with Catherine Jefford Shorey because of her theology. The Archbishop of Canterbury invited her anyway. <coughs> Sounds like a great group of friends getting together for Super Bowl Sunday, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Or maybe it's just your typical church fight with all the ruffian behavior we might expect. We have all had a chance to live through a few of those, even here at Church of Our Savior. And it sounds to me a bit like Nazareth. When Jesus says and does the unexpected and gets himself in trouble. When Christ says and does the unexpected in our hearts and in our communities, are we likely to become like the townspeople of Nazareth, furious that our expectations aren't being met? Challenged perhaps by a God who doesn't turn out the way we wanted God to be. If you ask me the foundational question on the table for us as an Anglican communion, a larger church right now is not one of human sexuality. Although I know that will be a point of contention in places for many years to come. Nor is it the ordination of women. Although to see and hear how even some of the primates are behaving right now towards our presiding bishop, you might be tempted to think otherwise. Nor is the foundational question about biblical authority and interpretation and who gets to do it, although that gets a bit closer to the truth. Nor is it really about power, even though there is a lot of power politicking going on right now in the name of Christ Jesus. No, if you ask me, the foundational issue on the table right now is about Transformation. Are we willing to be transformed? When Jesus comes into the midst of his people in Nazareth, he brings with him a gospel message that will turn everything upside down and inside out. But the people of Nazareth are not ready to hear it because all they can see is what they expect. Joseph's son. This little boy that they knew who expected to follow in his dad's footsteps. My sisters and brothers in Christ, this message comes right home to us here at Church of Our Savior in Mill Valley. To some degree, the upheaval in the Anglican communion can be kept out there at arm's length. But the transformative and messy acts of God's surprising grace will not stay out there. They will find a way in our doors. And if we shut them, they will seek ways through the cracks and the gaps in our community. And into our lives. And into our hearts, whether we want them to or not. Because God is changing the world. And Church of Our Savior is being changed by God too. And surely in many ways that I or any of us cannot see or entirely understand. The critical part of our vocation as Christians is in our gathering as we do today in prayer and in breaking bread and sharing the common cup. Another is sticking around to see how we can act out of our baptism to better prepare ourselves to address a changing world. 
Like the rest of the Anglican Communion, we faced a long period as a community of difficulty. Unlike the Anglican Communion, at the present time, though, we are blessed in that we can say we are almost on the other side of our time of turmoil. The Anglican Communion, one way or another, will get there, too. When it does, the question for the greater church will be the same as it is today for us at Church of Our Savior. Now what? By sharing in prayer and the companionship we find with each other and Christ at this table, we are opening ourselves up to that question. Now what? We are moving beyond the expectations we have for a Jesus we know and a God that we can predict. We are moving into that uncertain future with all of its hope and its risk and its possibility. The only way to deal with our uncertainty and broken expectations is to do one of two things. We could become a fearful lynch mob like the people of Nazareth. Or we could instead turn to the ethic that Paul so beautifully lays out in today's passage from his first letter to the church at Corinth. The ethic of love is more than a principle. It is a critical part of our truest Christian vocation, our deepest calling, and our deepest longing. It is the language of God's grace in our midst. It is what holds and binds us as a community together in good times and in bad. It is the patience and forbearance and the peace, those gentle words that we find, that we find in love. And they are what we most need in order to be properly open to the transformation that Jesus Christ brings to our lives and to our community. Love is the language of broken hearts. Hearts broken open. And I invite you to seek that with me beginning this day as we meet as a loving community in our part of the Anglican Communion. As we meet to begin looking ahead over the edge of our expectations and into a future of wonder and God's abundant grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We strive to be a welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or through our website, OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R. 
S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for melvalley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.